When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Happy New Year. It's the first day of 2023 for those listening on YouTube, and things are getting exciting for me and EerieCast. My network has grown, and I'm so thrilled to soon be publishing two original new horror novels this year, and my upcoming original trading card game featuring your favorite monsters. Please do me a favor if you want to support these new ventures of mine. If you go to cryptidcardgame.com and submit your email on that page, you'll be notified when my trading card game is available to pre-order, and it will put you on our mailing list for future announcements, such as when our exclusive horror novels are published. Thanks so much. Let's kick off the start of 2023 with this terrifying and especially violent assortment of scary true stories featuring encounters with the unexplained. Enjoy. And don't forget to send me your scary stories at darkstories.org so I can narrate them. Now, let's begin. Thing on the Roof from C. Philly 100 A close family friend of ours is an English teacher on the Navajo Nation outside of Tuba City. This subject matter is extremely taboo there. However, the children don't quite understand the taboo nature of these types of stories yet, and as such, are more apt to talk about them, especially to outsiders. This story will be told from the perspective of my friend, Todd. A student of mine had missed a couple of days of school, so when he finally came back on Thursday, I asked him to hang back for a couple of minutes so I can make sure he was doing okay. At first, he was acting somewhat despondently. He wasn't making direct eye contact, and he fidgeted a bit. Eventually, I got him to open up by asking him about his family. He mentioned that his brother had suffered a recent injury. So I asked if his brother was alright, and whether he'd received medical attention for it. He reported that a local medicine man had visited their home. Medicine men serve an important function in Navajo or Diné culture. They're often called to go out and bless people or sites where negative encounters have occurred. The hospital in Tuba City even has a couple of medicine men on call. As part of their training, these medicine men study and learn the Diné creation stories, which tell of the Diné people emerging out onto the land from deep within the earth. These stories speak of other species and entities who also emerged from these subterranean tunnels. Some of them speak of witches or demons who practice black magic and all manner of immoral things. Now, skinwalkers, 
or Yinald Lushi, constitute only one such group of which there are several. But the skinwalker's specialty is being able to shapeshift into an animalistic form, typically that of a dog or coyote, though legends do tell of bobcats or mountain lions as well. I thanked my student and wished him well, pondering what to do next. I wanted to make sure his brother and family were doing okay. So the following weekend, I asked the older brother, the one who had been injured, if I could set up a meeting with him and the school social worker. She and I had worked together on similar cases before, and she was able to provide an open mind as well as a safe space for students to share their stories. He agreed, and so we met. The following is his encounter. My little brother and I were home alone. The sun had gone down, and it was all dark out. You know, so we went back inside the trailer. We were just messing around or whatever, when something hit the outside of our trailer. I was like, what was that? And then we heard, like, something walking around on the roof of the trailer. I turned off the light, and it jumped off the roof. I looked outside to see what it was, and I swear I could see something moving around out there. I turned the outside light on, but I couldn't see it anymore. I grabbed a baseball bat, and my little brother grabbed a machete. We opened the door and went outside, looking around to see where it went. We walked past the outhouse when I saw something from the corner of my eye. It was like this dark shadow crouching down next to the outhouse, and as soon as I saw it, it came running at me so fast I couldn't even hit it. It knocked me down and my little brother tried to hit it with the machete, but it was just too fast. It then ran off behind the trailer. I jumped up and my brother and I ran back inside. My brother was freaking out by then and when I looked down, I saw that my shoulder was bleeding. I looked outside again and I saw the thing standing outside. But, like, what messed me up was it was like this coyote dude. Like he looked like a coyote, kind of. But it was standing up and looking back at me. I got all freaked out, but I was frozen and I couldn't look down or anything like that. He, or it, just stared at me. But then it looked as if it smiled or something. Then I watched it walk towards the trailer, still looking at me, his eyes all shiny like when you see a dog at night. At this point, the boy was having a hard time talking, but we could tell that he didn't want to cry in front of us. I asked him if it looked like a person wearing a coyote pelt. It was like he was a coyote, kinda. His arms and legs were like a man, but his body and his head and everything else, it looked like a coyote. So I asked him if it had a tail. Well, I couldn't really see any tail, but he had black claws on his hands. I then asked if he felt comfortable continuing his story, and he said yes, and went on. Anyway, this dude was like walking towards the trailer, and I thought he was going to come inside and kill us or something, but my little brother grabbed me down from the window, and I felt like I got unfrozen. I could hear that thing outside scratching on the side of our trailer. We heard some res dogs start barking, then we saw a light through the window, like someone was driving up the road. 
I looked outside again. There was a couple of res dogs chasing a truck down the road, and I could no longer see that coyote man anymore. I asked him if the truck stopped, or if it seemed the dogs had scared off the skinwalker. I don't know if the dogs saw it or whatever, but yeah, the truck was my uncle, and he pulled right up. We ran outside and jumped in his truck. We thought maybe the thing was hiding under the trailer. My uncle drove us to town because my shoulder was all messed up, so I had to get some stitches. I wondered how many stitches he'd gotten and what the doctor who treated him had thought it was. He answered, I got about 10 stitches. He showed us the bandage on his left shoulder. And yeah, we, we told him what happened or whatever, but he just thought it was a wild coyote that attacked me. He then mentioned how they wanted to treat him for rabies, but his parents would have to sign off for it. They administered an antibiotic and sent him home. They went to go stay at his uncle's Hogan that night and called the medicine man, who came to bless the boys in a traditional Diné ceremony. We then asked if he wanted us to call his parents, but he said no, that they wouldn't want to talk to us about it anyway. As an educator, it's a fine line to tread, especially on the Navajo Reservation, where things Western culture might disregard offhand as mythology or superstition are a very real day-to-day -day reality for the people living there. I've researched everything I could find on skinwalkers and things of that nature, but it's very difficult as the Diné people are extremely reluctant to speak of such things for fear it will draw their attention to them. A Singaporean National Service Story from J. Ion It is compulsory for all males in Singapore to serve two years in the military as national servicemen. Usually, they undergo a year of basic military training on the small island of Tekong before being dispatched to specialized training in a different country. Every year, the recruits get split into various platoons and each platoon will be sent to an unknown location to train in specific terrain warfare for several months at a time. My good friend's brother was sent to the middle of the island of Borneo for his second year of military training in tropical jungle warfare. As part of his training routine, he and his platoon mates had to be dressed in their field gear with face paint, weapons, and ammunition by nightfall and crawl in the dense undergrowth of the tropical rainforest. They were paired up and instructed to lay on the ground with their rifles loaded and ready, while constantly doing localized reconnaissance to simulate a jungle warfare situation. After doing this many times over the span of several hours in the middle of the night, my friend's brother got excited when he spotted a very large pure white owl perched on a tree branch just a few yards from him. It was an absolutely pleasant surprise for him, it was a sort of reprieve from the backache-inducing, mind-numbingly repetitive task of lying chest-first on the ground with all their heavy gears and loaded rifles for most of the night. He quickly tapped on his partner's shoulder and pointed in the direction of the owl. His partner looked at the owl, but instead of a pleasant reaction as he expected, his partner wore an expression of shock and confusion. 
thinking that his partner was just too astounded by the appearance of the owl, he turned back to look at it and admire it some more. He said the owl was literally as white as snow, with large, round, black eyes. But the most impressive part of this owl was its size. Despite being perched on a tree branch high off the ground, he could tell that the owl was at least four feet tall, from the top of its head to the bottoms of its legs, not including the protruding feathers that made up the tail. The owl just stared unblinkingly in the direction of their base camp. It stayed in that position for what seemed to be about five minutes, before finally it took flight and disappeared from sight. When dawn broke, their simulation training ended, and the recruits were allowed to have their breakfast and rest before their debriefing session. My friend's brother excitedly told his fellow recruits about what he saw, and everyone was very surprised that such a rare bird was sighted. He was glad that he got the opportunity to witness something so beautiful. His partner, however, was silent ever since they spotted that owl. In fact, he looked a little shell-shocked and was unusually reserved for the rest of the day. Just before they went to bed that night, he asked if his partner was feeling okay. That was when he learned that his partner witnessed something very different in the jungle while they were lying low in the undergrowth. While my friend's brother only saw a snow-white owl, his partner saw a snow-white owl's body with a female human head attached to its neck. The female human head had very dirty skin, long, messy black hair, and protruding eyes that did not blink. He had been quiet since that moment because he was so terrified of that creature. But a part of him was also doubtful of what he saw, questioning himself on whether he actually saw a bird or something supernatural, or maybe he was just hallucinating. Until now, my friend's brother insists that all he saw was a large white owl and nothing more. But he just couldn't come up with a definite explanation for why his partner saw a very different head on that bird's body. It is important to note that the indigenous communities of that area do tell stories of human-headed, bird-bodied creatures called Guntilanok. These are vampiric spirits born from the deaths of pregnant women. So, perhaps those stories did get into the head of his partner. Or maybe his partner was just unlucky. Something Got in My House From Sunshine This happened to me a few years ago in my own house. I live in a little town mostly run by farmers and country folk out in Texas. I literally live in the middle of nowhere, and I mean it. Just beyond my backyard is several hundred acres of pasture, and right across my driveway is a few miles of dense woodland. I do a lot of hiking and fishing on my property, and I've seen and heard a lot, but this story is a bit different. Now I live with my family, which consists of my parents and my little sister. The floors in our house are very creaky and loud. It's pretty much impossible to sneak around anywhere. One day I was going on a little nature walk on a path my dad made us ages ago through the woods. That particular day, something felt wrong. The entire time I was out there, 
I felt as if I was being watched. My sister was with me too, and she felt the same way. The woods were just too quiet, so we decided to head home early. That night, our dogs were going insane. At the time, we had a Great Dane, a Great Pyrenees, an Aussie Shepherd, a Pitbull Terrier mix, and two Chihuahuas. So, as you can imagine, a bit of barking can be pretty normal. But this time, they would run from our front door to the back door over and over again. My dad would go outside with a flashlight and walk around the house to check things out, but he never did find anything. We decided to let our big dogs run outside for the night, something we didn't normally do. We were worried someone or something was going to try to hurt our outside animals or rob us if we did. It isn't overly common in our region, but our neighbors had been broken into less than a month before, so we didn't want to take any chances, considering we had a lot of expensive ranching equipment and our animals are our babies. After a while, the dogs settled down, and everyone went to bed. Early in the morning, around 5am, when it was still dark out, I woke up to my bedroom door slowly opening, and I heard someone calling my name. I was still very much half asleep. It usually takes me all morning and a cup of coffee to wake me up, especially before 8. So my vision was pretty blurry, and I wasn't processing things well. I could hear my dogs going insane outside somewhere, but I didn't realize at the moment that it meant there was something wrong. My little sister poked her head into my room, not even enough for me to see her neck. Then she waved at me. She whispered my name repeatedly, which only got a hum out of me. Hey, you need to come outside. You have to see this. Hurry. I remember wiping my eyes to try to clear them, because my sister had very dark hair, but that night she looked blonde. The only blonde person I knew at the time was my best friend, who came over pretty often, but I knew she wouldn't be spending the night with us, so I was confused. The person at my door looked like a combination of my best friend and my little sister. What are you doing up? I asked. But my sister didn't answer my question. Instead, she just said, Hurry up. I have to show you what's outside. If you don't come, you're going to miss it. Then she began hysterically giggling. I told her to go away and rolled over. I remember then hearing my parents' door open. The girl at my door giggled again, then slammed the door hard enough to shake the wall. I jumped, nearly falling out of bed, just in time to hear heavy and loud footsteps run straight out the back door. I got up and walked into my kitchen to see my dad standing there. Who was in our house just now? He asked, not even looking at me. I turned to look in my sister's room, but she had just walked out to see what the commotion was. Our back door was wide open, the lock completely broken apart, and I could see our dogs tearing after something in the distance. I think that was the moment that it hit me. Something that sounded like my sister and resembled two different people I knew was just inside our house talking to me. On top of that, it was trying to lure me outside. After that, we increased security at our house. We installed alarms, new very heavy locks, electric wire on our fences, 
and cameras around the house, shed, and barns. A while after this, my sister told me something similar happened to her, but she saw a taller and darker version of my dad. She said he told her the exact same things to try to lure her outside. Less than a month after that, we saw someone walking around our farthest barn. They appeared to be about six feet tall, nude, and really pale. The cameras were so blurry it was hard to tell anything else. We saw it scratch the barn door for a minute before my dogs found it and ran it off. My dad thought that some naked druggie had showed up, but like I said, we lived in the middle of nowhere. That would be a long walk for anybody, especially a drugged out person with no shoes in the cold. I have reason to believe this thing was a skinwalker who just kept coming back. That was definitely a while ago, but just the other night, we saw someone walking across our field in the distance. Whoever it was, or whatever it was, screamed and ran into the woods. I'm scared it came back. If you've got a similar story, please share it with me. If you've figured out how to get rid of it, I'd love to know. I just want this thing to leave us alone. Don't speak to it. From Romia Chick. This took place back in the early 2000s. I was around six back then. My mother left me and my brother right after my brother was born. After a couple of years, she came back. She moved in with her parents, my grandparents, and wanted custody back of my brother and I. My dad fought her on this though, so she only got us every other weekend. One thing I have to explain is my grandparents' house. It was so old and worn out. They told me it had been part of the Underground Railroad, but kept it secret so they could tear it down 20 years later and build a new, bigger house. This house wasn't huge, but it had so many hideaways. My grandparents' bedroom was hidden behind this picture of a swan. You had to push right below the swan's extended wing to get it to open like a door. Crazy, huh? One night, my grandmother had just ran me a bath. She turned off the water and told me not to take too long, because supper would be ready soon. Then she left. Carefully, I hopped over to the tub. We had to be careful where we stepped in this house. I learned to listen to the squeaks of the floorboards, because if you weren't careful, you could fall right through. There were already two holes in the bathroom. So I stripped off my clothes and stepped softly into the warm water. The room was steaming up so fast, it had to have been pretty cold outside that day. I leaned my head back and closed my eyes as I rinsed my hair in the water. As I was brushing the water from my eyes, I had this horrible chilling feeling rushing through my insides. Soon the water didn't even feel warm to me anymore, even though it was steaming. I looked around and my eyes were glued to the corner of the mirror. It was completely fogged over, but beyond the fog, I could see this black smudge. It looked a lot like the side view of a head. It slowly grew bigger in the mirror. It was like a ball of smoke but hard to focus on, and it kept taking on different shapes. I could see the head moving from side to side, then it would change and look like a hand or just a blob. My eyes widened as I looked around, trying to come up with some reason, any reason, for what I was seeing. 
My breath caught in my throat, and goosebumps ran down my sides. I stared at the mirror as the smoky blob stopped moving. The hair on the back of my neck stood up in response. All at once, it pushed against the mirror with a loud squeak, then something ran over the mirror, like someone's hand wiping away the condensation. I screamed as I stared at it. I couldn't believe it happened. The fog had been moved. Whatever it was had moved the fog away from the mirror. My grandpa came running in then. His face was red and eyes wide. He threw a towel around me and grabbed me out of the tub. What's wrong? What happened? He asked, still partially stooped over. My grandpa was a very tall man. His head would hit the ceiling if he didn't bend over. I pointed to the mirror then, and I told him what I saw. He listened, not taking his eyes off of me. After I was done explaining, he looked me right in the eyes, took a deep breath, and said very softly, As long as you don't speak to it, it won't hurt you, okay? His eyes looked so sad at this. I tried bringing it up to him one other time, but he never said a word. This is only the second time I've told this story. A lot of weird things happened in that house. This episode is sponsored by June's Journey. Do you believe in monsters? And given the chance, would you be brave enough to track one down on your own? In June's Journey, people are the true monsters, and you can live the story yourself rather than sitting back and listening to one. June's Journey is a hidden object game with a thrilling murder mystery set in the Roaring Twenties. You play as June on the hunt for your sister's murderer. Discover clues through exciting hidden object scenes with beautiful and atmospheric illustrations and music. Victory brings you closer to new plot points and suspenseful answers. When not hunting for clues, you can customize your own luxurious estate island with gardens, buildings, and decor or chat and play with or against other players too in the Detective Club, where you could even put your skills to the test in the Detective League. June's journey is both relaxing and fun to play. With my busy schedule, I find it's the perfect game to pick up and play whenever I've got a free moment. It doesn't demand too much time, and it's pretty satisfying solving puzzles quickly and unlocking new clues. Can you crack the case? Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. Something called my name from Oshu. One day about five years ago, my parents and I decided to have a pizza party at our house with all of my aunts, uncles, and their kids being invited. I was happy because I loved those kids. Even though we were cousins, we had a very strong bond since we have been together since our childhood. We had fun together that day, playing games, eating pizza, messing around, and more. At one point, we were in my bedroom doing something, when one of my cousins, A, said that he saw something run by my bed, a small, shadowy figure. But we shrugged it off, saying that A was either trying to prank us or just seeing things. After all, the rest of us didn't see anything there. That night, everyone went home. I was really tired, so I went to bed. I used to sleep with my mother because I was afraid of the dark back then. My imagination always used to go crazy when my mom used to turn off the room's light. We were lying down in thick blankets. 
It was winter and quite cold. All the lights were off. I was only lightly asleep because I suddenly heard a voice that woke me up. I remember it clearly, a whispering voice that said, Ashew. The voice was calm, but it had a slight distortion to it, and for some reason my brain associated a feeling of love to that voice. Still, it was creepy hearing my own name being whispered in the middle of the night. Despite that feeling of love, somewhere in my heart I knew that its intentions weren't good. After realizing what I'd heard, I woke up really fast. I sat up and looked everywhere, trying to find out where the sound had come from. Suddenly, the thing my cousin had said earlier in the day about the shadow figure came back to me, and I got really creeped out. I was hoping it was just a waking dream, some sort of simple hallucination. But then my mom sat up, and she asked, Did you just hear someone say Ashu? Shivers went down my spine. I cried out for my dad, who was still awake at the time, so he wasn't in the room. My mom turned the light on, but the voice came back, sounding much louder than before, like it was coming from a loudspeaker now, and it said, Look at me! By then, my dad had come running, banging the door open. My mom tried to console me, telling me that I was safe, but even though my face was towards my mom, I felt eyes glaring at me in absolute anger. Dad asked, What in the world is going on? What was that sound? My mom grabbed me and ran out of the room, grabbing my dad by the hand and pulling him with us. She tried to explain as we went. Dad then said, We're leaving right now, as if he knew what it was already. We headed to our uncle's home as it was the nearest. Once we got there, that feeling of being watched went away. Nowadays, we live a lot farther away. I feel a lot safer here. This experience only comes back to me in my nightmares. Warning. The following story contains violence against pets. Something in my neighbor's garage. From Anonymous. I'm a 16-year-old girl who lives in Germany. I live together with my mom and some pets in a small town pretty far away from the center of attention. If you open my door, you'd be standing right in the forest. We always have a lot of wildlife around the place, like deer or rabbits, but nothing dangerous, except for the occasional fox, if you can call that dangerous. We have chickens that are allowed to walk free on the property, and we've never lost one to any wild animals. The only people that lived near us were an old couple, but we don't hear a lot from them since they spend most of their time inside. One morning when I was feeding the bunnies, which were located in a trailer around 50 meters away from the main house, I heard a loud noise. It sounded like someone had slammed a heavy door. I was freaked out for a moment because it was still dark out, and at first I didn't know what it could have been. Then, a few seconds later, I came to the conclusion it must have been my neighbors. They probably opened the door to get the newspaper, then closed it. So I didn't pay it too much mind. When I got to the bunnies, they looked a little scared, though. But I assumed it was because of the door being slammed. I went on with my day, and when I later got home from school, I saw that my mom had left me a note. It said she had to take the night shift, because one of her co-workers was sick. 
so I did my chores and had a nice afternoon. When I went to bring the chickens inside, they were already gathered inside their coop, and they were awfully quiet. That was strange, but I brushed it off, counted them, and locked up the coop. After that, I went to the bunnies to feed them as usual. I found them huddled together in the farthest corner away from the door. I was starting to get a little scared. I decided it would be best to bring them inside with me. They had a little cage in the house for especially cold nights. I grabbed the two of them and started walking back to the house. When I was halfway there, I heard something running right towards us. My heart sank and I started to sprint to the house. When I got there, I practically threw the bunnies inside and closed the door behind me. I made sure it was locked at least ten times over and I hid in the bathroom together with my two bunnies. I listened closely. Outside was quiet. There seemed to be nothing suspicious so far. No smells, no noise, just silence. I started to think that what I'd heard running at me was just a deer, which coincidentally was running in my direction. Suddenly, I heard the sound of a cat screaming outside. In that moment, my fear became anger. I had a cat, and the cat outside was most likely mine, and I wasn't going to let anything hurt it. I ran to the kitchen, grabbing the biggest knife I could find, and I went outside. I could still hear the cat's cries, and I sprinted towards it. In the last bit of remaining sunlight, I could make out that it indeed was my cat, desperately fighting against being dragged up a tree by something. When I got there, I tried to pull the cat away, but whatever was dragging it was extremely strong. I stabbed at it with my knife, which must have done some damage as it immediately let go of my cat. I then ran back to the house with my cat in my arms, but that thing grabbed me by my ankle and I fell down. Then the most disturbing part happened. I swear to God I heard it laughing. I tried to free my leg and eventually I was successful. I kicked at the thing and scrambled back up I managed to get back inside with my cat. I locked the door and ran to the bathroom where my bunnies were still sitting in the bathtub where I'd left them. I searched for the emergency medical kit and started to clean my cat's wounds. The poor thing had claw marks on its leg. Thankfully, my cat was beaten up but alive, and we were left alone for the rest of the night. When my mom came home in the morning, she found me sleeping in the bathtub when I explained to her what happened, she, not to my surprise, didn't believe me. She said it must have been a fox or a raccoon, but I'm sure it was something else. I never caught a good glimpse of the thing, but that was no being from this earth. After that night, it stayed quiet, but a week later when I got home from school, there were multiple police cars and an ambulance. I wasn't allowed to ask questions, but I saw two body bags being carried out of my neighbor's home before I was forced inside my own house. I could see the garage of my neighbors. I saw red on the walls, and the door that was connected to the house was missing. In the newspaper of the next day, it was said that they were killed by an exploding oven, but I have a feeling that I nearly ended up with the same fate as them. A Mischievous Nighttime Visitor From Running Miles 
In the summer of 2015, I was traveling for a series of clinical rotations in my final year of my doctorate program. Every 10 weeks, I moved to a different town for the start of the next rotation. In July, I was living in a small Pacific Northwest college in Farmingtown, renting a room in a house with three other housemates. It had been an enjoyable place to live as the roommates were fine and the scenery was quite beautiful. On my last night in town, I picked up a friend from a city an hour north as she had been traveling in the region as well, and would coincidentally be returning to the same place I was to begin driving to tomorrow. I was glad to have company on what was going to be a 16-hour road trip. We returned to the house and shared my bed for the night. We fell asleep readily and planned to rise early the next morning. At approximately 2am, I awoke with a feeling of sickness in my stomach. I dove out of the bed, rushing into the bathroom feeling the urge to vomit. I managed to hold it back, and upon leaving the bathroom, I felt compelled to go downstairs. I can't fully explain what I was feeling at the time. Something wasn't quite right in the house. I felt funny, but I hadn't had any alcohol the previous night, and I hadn't consumed any questionable food either. I decided to go get some water. Upon entering the kitchen, the fire alarm suddenly went off without provocation. I felt a surge of fear I couldn't quite explain. I bellowed, get out, without any rationale for the choice of words. As soon as I had screamed the command, the fire alarm went quiet and everything seemed calm. I then felt cold and drained. Suddenly, my friend arrived downstairs, asking me to describe what happened. I couldn't quite explain it, and it didn't make sense to me. I told her about feeling ill, the fire alarm shutting off as I yelled at it. She had apparently heard that part. After listening to my account, she told me about the experience she had as I'd left the bedroom for the bathroom. She said that she too had awakened feeling suddenly ill with an urge to vomit. She told me that she'd also been able to stifle the urge, and upon doing so, she noticed someone else was in the room. She described a four-foot-tall, slender creature with spindly fingers and a wide grin. Apparently, it had followed me out of the room, and she'd witnessed it tormenting me in the doorway of the bathroom. She told it to leave, at which point she saw it go downstairs. I found myself drawn to this memory years later. Just to be sure I hadn't invented it, I reached out to my friend, and she confirmed my recollection almost verbatim. She also provided an additional detail that I hadn't recalled at the time. A half hour after I had commanded that thing to leave when the fire alarm sounded, she heard the fire alarm of our neighbor's home suddenly go off. I'm a naturally skeptical person. I'm not one to place much stock into tales of paranormal phenomena. Had I not experienced it firsthand, I doubt I'd have believed someone else telling me the same story that I'm sharing with you now. But I did, and though I cannot explain what I saw and felt, I cannot deny what occurred that night. Plagued by a Demon Child in the Attic from Marshall Lawless. About eight years ago, I moved to New Jersey from Flagler Beach, Florida. The change of pace and scenery was nice, 
I even met half my family that I never knew for the first 20 years of my life. It felt like a great way to find out more about myself through meeting brothers and sisters I'd never known before. Funnily enough, my oldest sister had a home, and my younger brother and sister had moved in with her the year before. So previously growing up the only boy in the family, I was happy to meet my brother and see our common interests. It was odd to say the least, moving from a beach to a small mountainside town close to Vernon called Franklin. It was an old mining town. In fact, my sister's house was a miner's home. There's still old mining equipment in the basement. They repurposed the attic into a room my brother and I could share, which was awesome. I quickly enjoyed being there. I liked the cooler weather, and hiking past waterfalls was pretty fun. Now, I would have intense dreams sometimes. I would lucid dream quite often, and sometimes I would come out of them into sleep paralysis. This was nothing new to me. But what was new was what happened one particular night. I was drifting off to sleep when I felt a hand glide over my back, and as if on cue, I felt myself leave my body. This was new territory for me. It felt as if I was there, but not, if that makes sense. I felt as if I was nothing more than a ball of mass. I could see my own body. The world around me seemed almost darker, like the light was being drawn into itself, and darkness was more prominent in the world I was seeing. The first few times I experienced this, I can honestly say it was cool. It felt like a lucid dream, but more difficult to control. But eventually I was able to go anywhere, and I can't tell you how amazing the feeling of flying over the world like Superman was. But everything came to a crazy end. After a few months of living there, the dreams began coming more frequently. When it started, it was once a week. Now it was almost every night. These dreams of being pulled out of my body would leave me feeling drained every morning. It felt as if I hadn't slept at all. And coming out of it was just like my lucid dreaming. I would be in a state of sleep paralysis. Now, from where I slept, I could see down the stairs. On a certain occasion, I woke up from such a dream. When I looked towards the stairs, I saw a young child crawling up the steps on all fours. He kept going until he crept up on the side of my bed. At first, I thought it was just some side effects of my body feeling drained and the waking dream sleep paralysis working in tandem. I was sure that my mind was just showing me things randomly. But there he was, the more and more I felt awake far more real than some hallucination. He was just staring, and then he began to laugh. Eventually, I fell back to sleep. The morning after this bad experience, my brother asked me if I was doing okay. He noticed I was quiet. To be honest, it felt as if I was no longer happy. My soul felt drained, like a battery left completely empty. But I felt confident talking to him, he was my only brother, so I told him every detail of my experiences. When I was done, he looked at me like I told him I had cancer. He ran down the stairs all the way to the basement, then came back a bit later, with a joint and an old book. He tells me to smoke up before we take a trip into the book. I ask him about the book. It was an old photo album from the first homeowner. He had a family, and in that family he had two sons. In the photo, I saw that freaking kid. 
the one I'd seen last night creeping and crawling by my bed. Turns out that son went to take his dad lunch and he ended up slipping in the snow, falling down a nearby mine shaft, landing 30 feet below. He didn't die there though. They got him home apparently. Unfortunately, the local doctor could not help. He died in this very house in the room below us. To make matters worse, the mother killed herself in the house shortly after, and the father ended up dying in the mines. It was a big tragedy for the community back then. My brother and I had a bad idea. We grabbed a Ouija board. We tried to communicate with the spirits of the family, but we didn't have any luck at first. As night came, my brother said he would stay up and watch me. However, nothing happened. I got good rest, no astral projection or lucid dreams, and I finally felt rested when I woke up. It went on like that for a couple of weeks. Not long after that, my brother went away with his girlfriend to go skiing for the week. I'd almost forgotten about the whole thing until I came home one day, laid down, and I felt that same hand gently going down my back, and once again, I left my body. This time when I looked at the world around me, it was almost completely void of light. I could barely control my senses. I felt so trapped. Then I see the boy. He's crawling up the steps as if he'd been waiting for this moment to find me alone. I hear him laughing as he starts to take these claw hands and scratching them down my back. I see those claws ripping into my body. I feel it in every way. He then speaks, his voice like a mix of a child's and some growling animal. I remember clearly what he said to this day. It's so hard to find people to play with. That's when I wake up. I'm in sleep paralysis again. I then notice that I can't see anything, and I realize that my shirt is over my head. I begin to fight to move again to pull it off of me, and eventually I can. But when I look around, something's not right. The world is still very dark, like I'm still in the other world. I get up and turn the light on, but it doesn't work. Then I see the light in the staircase strobing in and out, but then I see it. The child, appearing more like a horned demon in the dark, crawling upside down on the ceiling as the light flickers on then off. It's still laughing. Suddenly I'm paralyzed again, the shirt over my head. I'm lying down once more, as if I'd woke up again. I repeat this over and over. The demonic child is crawling towards me every time I see it, but it's always in different places. It felt as if this went on for hours. At one point, I hear it ask me, Do you give up? A thought then creeped into my head. My grandma had always told me about how faith and prayer was our strongest weapon. And so that's what I did. I stood up and faced that childlike demon, and I prayed in the name of Jesus Christ. His smile froze, and as I blinked, its demonic features disappeared. He was not more than a child again. I continued to repeat my prayer, and the more I did, the more scared the child looked. And then I pushed him down the stairs. As soon as I did, I immediately and actually woke up. My shirt was over my face, which scared me at first, but I pulled it off 
and when I looked around, I saw that it was morning. But I also found that there were cuts all over my body. I was bleeding, but I felt whole again, as if I had beaten it. I told my family downstairs what had happened. They would be wondering what the cuts were from anyway. I was sure they'd send me to an asylum or something. But they believed me, I think. They'd been in that house for a long time, and they knew some very crazy things went on there. They even brought over a priest to bless and cleanse the home. Over time, I finally got over my fear of sleeping, and I can say I haven't seen nor heard from that child demon since. But every now and then, I still feel that hand-like sensation going along my back, and I can still see the world in a way I can't explain. I fear that one day, I may find myself in a similar situation again. It tried to hurt me. From Mountain Woman 884. You want a story? I have a good one. The type you would hear from your grandmother. The type that promotes caution towards what we don't understand. This happened two years ago. I was 20 at the time, and I was living alone in my apartment. I'd recently been promoted and could finally pay for my own place. My best and only friend at the time was a German Shepherd that I had adopted. At the time, he was a puppy. His name is Kurtz. When looking at houses, I came across this nice house in an old area. It was underpriced for its size. When I inquired as to why, the real estate agent said something along the lines of, the house was built in 1833 and it doesn't have the best history. Everyone who's lived here has had some kind of awful thing happen to them in the house. The most recent thing being someone found their cat ripped to shreds. As I entered that house, I was hit with a gut feeling that I needed to leave. I was practically raised by the woods. My mother died when I was just a month old and my dad was a hunter. He taught me to always listen to my gut. So when I was hit with this bad feeling, my mind began to second guess the entire thing. The house had two big rooms downstairs. The one that you saw when you first walked in was just empty. Through the door was the kitchen. The stench of that room was horrid. I opened the fridge and found out why. Rotten meat and food riddled the shelves. Uh, the previous owner left in a hurry, the agent said, who had been showing me around. The two rooms were divided by the staircase, which led to the second floor. We went up. At the top, there was a door which the agent unlocked. It led to a small space which had four rooms and a closet. Right across from the stairway door was the bathroom. To the left was a small bedroom. To the right was a master bedroom, and between the bathroom and master was another bedroom. I looked through the rooms, and when I entered the left bedroom, I got a feeling that I was being watched. I slowly walked through the room, and I came to the closet. I opened it. Nothing special in particular. The rest of the rooms carried the same feeling with them, though, and that feeling was there through the rest of the house, especially the basement. Ugh, that basement. It was a mess. To give you a reference, it looked like a house in the Chernobyl exclusion zone. There was a freaking toilet in the middle of the room, surrounded by drywall that was in patches. Despite all the bad feelings and what should have been red flags, I bought the place. 
Call me crazy all you want, but I swear I heard a voice in my head saying, leave. This went on until the moment I left the property. When I looked back at the house, I swear I saw a hunched over shadow in the window. I didn't see any facial features either. It had to have been at least nine feet tall. Its arms were skinny and long, and as I looked back at it, it felt as if my brain was on fire. Later, when I moved in, my first day was awful. As I was setting up the TV in the first room, I heard that voice in my head again. Leave. I squatted down to plug it into the wall, and as I did, I felt a hand grab my hair. I clearly felt a large hand with six fingers and inhuman strength gripping into my hair. I reached for my hunting knife that I kept in my belt, and Kurtz ran into the room, barking his head off. The hand let go, and when I turned, knife in hand, there was nothing there. Kurtz was growling and barking at a spot in the corner. I calmed him down and finished setting up the TV. Night was falling soon, and I decided that I could unload the rest of the stuff the following day. I planned for the rest of the free room to be my personal gym. I cleaned out the kitchen and ordered some pizza. I sat at the table and scrolled through my phone. Across from the table was the glass door leading to the basement. I suddenly heard a small bump. Kurtz's head perked up at the door. I did the same. In the reflection of the glass, I saw that same shadow standing right behind me. My ears began to ring, a horrible ringing sound. The voice spoke again, although this time the shadow figure opened its mouth. The voice was so loud, and it seemed to make everything around me shake. Get out now. I turned around quickly, but nothing was there. Everything had already turned to normal. I convinced myself I was seeing things, and the voice, I shrugged it off. Now that I was completely unsettled, I sat in the corner of the TV room so that I could see the entire house. After about 10 minutes of this, I walked slowly to the front door. Kurtz accompanied me out to my truck. We slept in there for the night, and I kept a pistol under the seat. When the pizza guy pulled in, I got out of the truck, paid him, and he was on his way. I turned to the house, and once again I saw the shadow. I decided then and there, this thing would not control the home I just bought. I called my cousin, who was all into the paranormal, and told him the situation. As I was on the phone and looked back at the house, I swear I saw that shadow open its eyes. Two yellow slits staring into my soul. It's hard to describe, but it felt as if bullets hit me. I felt them carve their path through my lungs. Then I remembered the days in which I used to hunt with my dad. He made it a point to only shoot deer in the lungs. It was like the creature was making me feel the pain I'd put my prey through. On top of that, I felt blunt pain in every part of my body. When I picked my head up, the shadow had a wide grin across its face. It all happened so fast. You still there? My cousin asked over the phone. His words brought me back to my senses, and the pain was suddenly gone. I saw Kurt staring at the shadow from my truck. As my cousin and I talked, we came to the conclusion it was a demon. 
I ordered another batch of food from a local Chinese place and asked for extra salt. When I hung up with the lady on the phone, the shadow figure was gone. I heard the distinct click of the door locking. I hadn't done that, but I might as well keep them that way, I thought. When the delivery guy arrived, I asked him if he saw the shadow in the house as well. He nodded, visibly creeped out. I took the salt packets and opened them. I poured the salt into Kurtz's rubber bowl. I then wet my knife slightly and sprinkled it with salt, causing it to stick to the knife. I stepped out of the truck and walked up to the door, hesitating. I then entered my home. I walked into the middle of the room. Nothing happened at first. I stood there looking for that shadow. Suddenly, I felt those same six fingers wrap around my chest, sharp nails poking into me. I swung the salted blade down, aiming for where I thought the arm would be. My ears began to ring more intensely. Suddenly, I was thrown a good foot and a half away from where it had grabbed me. I wasn't skinny at the time, weighing around 180 pounds, so for something to effortlessly do that, it was, to put it simply, terrifying. The front door then slammed shut and locked. I got back to my feet and heard the basement door slam shut. I followed whatever the heck this thing was, and suddenly the smell of smoke filled my lungs. I looked down through the basement door. The entire downstairs must have been on fire. Vicious flames licked upwards towards me. Then the door swung open, and I felt two large palms on my back. I stabbed at the air behind me. I heard the most horrible screech then as I ran to the front door. It was locked. I took the pistol off my belt and shot the lock out before running to my truck. With Kurtz along with me, I drove a few houses down the street. I called the fire department and walked back to the house. The entire thing was now engulfed in flames and the sirens were closing in. The shadow showed itself once more and I heard, Stay out. After the entire ordeal, Kurtz and I moved far out of the state. I met a guy, got married, and I've got a kid on the way. My child will know not to mess with that of which they don't understand and to trust their gut instinct. That Thing Behind the Barn From Tim Tom 123 It was just after Christmas and we went to go see my grandpa. He lives along the United States border between Minnesota and Canada, right on the Rainy River. It's quite peaceful up there. We've never experienced anything bad. And let me remind you that I was 12, so it was a lot for my little kid mind to comprehend. It all started a day or two after Christmas. It was extremely cold that night, about three degrees or so. Everything was quiet at the time. No coyote howls, nothing but wind. It was just me and my grandpa staying up to watch something about the gold rush. Suddenly, the floodlight on the barn about 200 feet in front of the house flicked on. The two of us looked out the window facing the barn. We didn't see anything at first, so we shrugged it off. But all night, my grandpa's Great Dane had its tail between its legs, whimpering in the corner. Fall of the following year, my grandpa got a few deer tags. 
I wasn't old enough yet to hunt alone that November. It was okay weather for the time. Early one morning, we walked out to the blind and got in. Not too long after that, I see a little spike. I aim and step on a twig by accident. There was a snap, and the little buck I was looking at looked at us. I was utterly shocked when I saw the buck stand up on its hind legs. My grandpa and I gasped. That night, I couldn't sleep, thinking about that dear thing's eyes locking onto us. Suddenly, light filled the window near me. The floodlight at the barn had turned on again. Gathering my courage, I looked through the window, and I saw that deer standing in the woods by the barn on two legs. It seemed to be staring at the house, at us. After looking into it more, I can't help but wonder if this might be a Wendigo. Thank you for listening to another unsettling episode of Unexplained Encounters. You can send us your story to have it narrated on the show at darkstories.org. Unexplained Encounters is an EerieCast original series. You can find other horror-themed podcasts at EerieCast.com, such as Redwood Bureau, a fictional anthology series, Freaky Folklore, a documentary-style series about myths and cryptids around the world, Destination Terror, a show about the most haunted places, and Tales from the Break Room, another show I host all about the scary things that happen to people at work. Again, that's EerieCast.com. By the way, if you want fewer annoying ads and you want to support what we do, consider going to EerieCast.com plus to sign up for EerieCast Plus. That unlocks all our podcasts with all but host red ads removed. Until next time, stay safe out there and stay creepy. Because this world is a strange one.